Thanks for listening to the Giving Leader podcast. My name's Phil Ling. I am the founder and host of the Giving Leader and also the founder of the Giving Church Consulting Organization. My guest on this episode is Keith Minard. Keith is the lead pastor of Grace Church in Pickerington, Ohio. That's the east side of Columbus, Ohio, largest city in the state. Everybody thinks it's Cleveland, but it's not. It's Columbus. Keith has a thriving ministry over a, a period of just a few years and comes from a unique background that uh, God had a plan and a path. And I think you're going to be fascinated by the conversation with Pastor Keith, Grace Church, Pickerington, Ohio. hanging out with in one of my favorite places because it's one of all the churches I've gone to in the United States, literally hundreds. It's the only one I did not have to look at GPS. <laughs> we're on Refugee Road, Pickerington, Ohio, Grace Church, Grace Fellowship. Mm-hmm. I always get it's called Grace yeah. Church, Grace Fellowship. Pastor Keith Minard is here. And this is literally one turn from where I grew up. I can go down <laughs> Refugee, hit No Bixby, turn left. Um, I'm at home in the church my dad planted a long, long time ago. So that's where we are, sun shining, even though it's, it's a little cold outside. Um, I want to get a little bit of your story. Yeah. Um, you, and I don't think it's an exaggeration. Columbus is one of those towns, I think everybody's shocked to, to know it's bigger in Cleveland, it's bigger in Cincinnati. They don't realize that Columbus is a big town. Yep. And in that, there are some churches, but we're not known for great, thriving churches. Sure. It's almost like, through the decades, we've had a lot of old churches. So you, since you've been here, um, walk me through just a little bit of the timeline, you showing up, what it was like when you got here, yep. and then a snapshot of what it looks like today. Sure. So 14 years ago now, I was had graduated from college and was working in the marketplace in chemistry. And that's one of my degrees is in chemistry. And I've been doing that for five years in two different um, two different offices, one in a big company in Columbus and one in a startup company. Volunteering at a church, was a key young adult leader. Got a call from th- this church in Pickerington. It was a different name at the time. They had grown in their first 10 years of existence to their peak of about 200. They had plummeted down to about 50 or 60 at this point. Their pastor was resigning and they were asking for local churches to come have people come fill the platform. Went over there and went and filled the platform once. They asked me to come back a second time. And then uh, after the second time I preached there, they said, would you be interested in this? We think we're going to do a year-long search. And I was being recruited for a job at a, at a company called Kimberly Clark in Wisconsin at the same time. My wife and I had come back not long before this from Cambodia. We were thinking about being missionaries there full-time. So interview with the church on a Sunday, interview with Kimberly Clark on a Tuesday, and on Thursday night get told we got approved to be missionaries hmm. in Cambodia. So on Friday we said, what do we want to be when we grow up? So long story short, a bunch of conversations of prayer. We take the church. Started in uh, July of that year, and first weekend there were 52 people. 52 people of, again, a church that wasn't sure it was going to make it, wasn't sure it was going to keep its doors open, uh, was struggling, had built a building only about four or five years before that, a small building. And we showed up. I'd never been in vocational full-time ministry, hadn't been to seminary yet, all those kind of things. I had a Bible degree and was an active volunteer, but took over this church and uh, 52 people, only staff member, and went from there. And God began to really quickly bless. We started to see people come and connect and grow. And we moved forward, filled that building, went to multiple services, uh, sold that building, 
start to build a building, went to a school, high school and portable church for 18 months, build a building. And now fast forward to today, uh, we have four locations, four campuses, about to have a fifth uh, within the next 18 months. Uh, 3,800 people roughly on a weekend, over 6,300 for Christmas, um, 60 some staff, uh, you know, hundreds, thousands of people that have been baptized, saved, and you know, literally millions of dollars we've been able to give away and bless a new ministry. And so just a crazy 14 year experience. It's, and you and I've talked before, one of the things that, uh, of the folks that may be t- listening to us, a lot of them are ministry leaders. Average church in the United States runs 90 on the weekend. 75% of all churches, well below 200 yeah. uh, on the weekends, and we know that. So when they look at large churches, especially fast-growing churches, it's like, dude's got it easy, man. I mean, <laughs> he's got staff. Yeah. He's got, yeah. you know, a building yeah. and all that. And, I, and not that God's not blessed you, but that doesn't mean you don't have crisis. That doesn't mean you don't have tough stuff. And so before I get in and... and bug you about some of the tough stuff who influenced you yeah as a, like a leader or you look back and say you know I learned a lot from that person yeah so I mean I think one of the things that I would um, pride myself on is that I'm a pretty hungry learner that I I really want to be teachable I think scripture teaches that a lot but the idea of Proverbs 9 9 that a wise person adds to their learning so especially early on I would say this is true today but um, I just, whoever I could sit in front of, you know, and uh, one of my staff members always says that uh, Keith can squeeze about as much information in an hour span out of anyone if he gets time with them. And so I just learned to tenaciously ask questions and sit in front of people. Uh, my mentor was a pastor in town that actually had led me to Jesus and his church sat somewhere between 600 to 800 over the course of his ministry. And uh, he and I are wired differently as leaders, but from a pastoral perspective, he was the man that walked me through, how do I do a funeral? How do I do a wedding? What does marriage counseling look like? And some of those real pastoral nuts and bolts. And he was also someone that working through a passage I wanted to call, you know, he would he would take the phone call and do it. And then I started to get some friends from larger churches that were connected. Our church is connected to a family of churches, about 260 in the U.S. And so I had some of them where that are at some bigger churches than mine at the time, and they took phone calls. So a guy we both know, Jeff Bogue, who right. you've worked with. Jeff became someone that I'd pick up the phone and call. And uh, and then connections to guys that were in our family of churches, guy in Goshen, Indiana, another guy in uh, up near Cleveland, uh, uh, another guy in Columbus, and would pursue those conversations, and we'd have them. And, and then I started to watch, I think, a lot of the people that a lot of churches like mine would look at. We started to pay attention to blogs and podcasts from the Andy Stanleys of the world, the Ed Youngs of the world, the Matt Chandlers. And then various sliding scales of people that I knew in that group. What was really cool was that in my family of churches, the healthiest growing churches established this thing that about uh, probably about 10 years ago now where once a year we would take a trip around the country and we would go to model churches and we would set up interviews with their either staff, their lead pastor, and we'd hang out with them. And so that took us to Dallas where we sat with Matt Chandler and Josh Patterson and Trevor Joy from their staff. Took us to a whole day with Larry Osborne in California. Took us to Seattle with Cesar Kolonowski and then some of the guys from uh, Driscoll's Church, Mars Hill at the time, and even from what had come from that. Took us to Phoenix. Took us all to New York City with Tim Keller and A.R. Bernard. And so I got to sit with those guys as we were growing from about 300 on, learned from them. 
Um, I'm a reader, try to read a lot and learn from as many people as I could. And so it was a variety of local people and, uh, and then friends and then just kind of the normal, typical people you would think of. Okay, fact or fallacy. Um, Warren said years ago that when you start a church, and for all practical purposes, when you inherit 52 people, yeah. you're starting a church. Yeah. So you, you start a church, the people you start with, who you grow with, who's with you long term, often is not the same, yeah. that there's seasons. Yep. Have you seen that or not? Yeah, I think uh, the people that really stuck around through the initial changes that we made, they've stayed if they've been in the area. But what is certainly true is the seasonal reality of your church. And I know I was just talking with a guy on our staff who had planted a church, had a church for about 10 years. He works here now as a campus pastor. And we were talking about how about 50% of his team was gone within the first four years of him planting his church. And that's pretty statistically normal for how that goes. And that shows up differently, particularly as your church gets bigger. But one of the places that it's very real is with your staff. I remember I had a friend who said, when you take a picture of your team picture of your staff at 1,000, and then you look at it at 2,000, you look at it at 3,000, you're going to be amazed how much it changes. And that's been true for us. And that's hard because some of those people were people early on that blood, sweat, and tears believed in what we were doing, grew with us. And then in a loving way, you had to tell them they couldn't make the cut. They couldn't keep up. They didn't have capacity. Some of them didn't want it that way anymore. They didn't want the job they had worked themselves into. And so you definitely see the seasonal reality. Um, and then you see people early on when you start making changes who are like, yeah, this isn't what I signed up for. You're, you're turning my church into something I don't want my church to be. Um, so you, you definitely see people come and go. And I mean, I think one of the things I would say to any person in ministry um, is you, know, you got to have this balance between uh, thick skin and a tender heart. And one of the places that connects to is people coming and leaving your church. So I think it was Craig Rochelle that said, um, be careful not to take credit for the people who stay or else you have to take credit for the people who leave. Right. And I look back over the years and literally thousands of people have come here and left. You know, not anything to do with the people that were here that stayed or what, there's right. people come and gone. Um, oftentimes when I go to local sporting events, I'll walk up and down the stands and I'll see family after family that I'll think, yeah, they were at Grace for a season. They were at Grace for a season. And if your ego or identity is tied in that, Man, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be a rough go. And so learning early on to just be faithful with what you're doing, knowing that people are gonna come and go. Some of it for the seasonal reality, some of it for you can't be all things to all people the way they want you to be, some of those kind of things. So yeah, the seasonal thing's real. Um you have uh I know you have made a commitment to multi locations. Yep. Multiple campuses. Um probably half of our clients over the last ten <clears throat> years, you know, have multiple campuses. But what I've learned is very few of them look alike. Yep. That there are so many different ways yep. to do multi-campus. You know, earlier we were talking to somebody that I know that's doing a great job, has done a good, great job over a period of years, and he does um, the live streaming. Yep. So it's a video yep. venues. Uh, others do, like the friend Jeff that we know yep. in Ohio has got the individual teachers. Yep. So philosophically, where'd you guys land? Yeah. You're ready to roll them out, and yep. you've been successful. Yep. What's it look like? Yeah, so I think one of the things I would say to anyone who's either considering campusing or is early on in it, um, I tell people, if you're thinking about campusing, but you don't have a great why and you don't really understand what you're doing, you're going to hate it because it's really hard and it's complicated. So you better have a great why 
You better know exactly why you're doing it and you better be prepared for it to complicate your reality. The second thing I tell them is learn from everybody, but don't try to imitate anybody. So eat the meat, leave the bones, find what's great for you, and then figure out how to leverage what you want to do. So we're um, more, if you were to put on you know, the, the perspective, 100% franchise model, completely duplicated everything, all the way to congregational model, almost its own mini denomination. We are more over here, um, but we're not full-fledged 100% of the time video. So basically the way it works at our campuses, 70% video model, 30% um, live teaching of the campus pastor or someone from the teaching team. Um, I do my best to try to go to every campus once a year at least to go preach. The more campus it gets, harder it gets. But um, there are certain things that we have in our campus constants that we would say, for lack of a better analogy, that are like Chick-fil-A. We're going to serve chicken. We're going to serve waffle fries. We're going to say my pleasure. These are non-negotiables. But at a Chick-fil-A, there's a difference between a Chick-fil-A that's located in a mall and a standalone store and one in an airport. They're going to have some different strategies, although they're all going to serve chicken, say my pleasure, and have the waffle fries. So we have a group of things that we call campus constants that are non-negotiables at every campus. So what children's ministry is going to be called, some of the DNA of children's ministry, some things like that. So there's a franchise component to it, but ultimately we would say we're complanting, we're campusing with the goal that those will become their own long-term. Did you say complanting? Complanting, <laughs> kind of a word. Campus, I just want to make sure I didn't miss yeah, that. Okay. Campus right. to plant, right. campus to plant, with the intention of saying those would become their own campuses. So, you know, depending on who you read, 80 to 90% of all church plants, true church plants fail. Right. 80 to 90% of all campuses succeed. So we feel like how do we leverage growing up our child in a way that it's healthy to then send it off? There's a difference between sending your five-year-old out with half a million dollars saying, good luck in the real world, Chuck, versus growing your five-year-old up to 18, giving them DNA, giving them some money and training, and then saying, go do your own thing. Hopefully, you'll take a lot of mom and dad with you. So we've tried to say we want to franchise with the intention to plant. And there's challenges to that. There's tensions to that. Um, but one of the biggest things I would say is, man, preaching every week is hard. My mentor used to say, you know what comes after this weekend, next weekend, you know? Right. And so preaching every weekend is hard. And then when you're trying to shepherd, you're trying to build team, you're trying to recruit leaders, you're trying to do, be active in the community. So a lot of pastors fail because they can't carry all of that. So we said, let's only make our campus pastors preach about 30% of the time so we can cultivate that skill set without them feeling the pressure of that every single week and we can build that up in them and then they're still hosting leading service all of those kind of things but it gave them a chance to be great at the other aspects of their job while we cultivated them to be teachers so um, one elder board one budget it's all one brand you've got the tensions of you know how many social media accounts and how many websites but we are one church in multiple locations um, but then there are contextual realities at those campuses so there's the campus constants that kind of keep it chick-fil-a but then depending on where Chick-fil-A is, there's certain things they're going to do. So okay. I, does that make I, sense? Yeah, I, I'm going to steal every bit of that. Okay, Just understand. <laughs> <laughs> understand, you're going to hear this Chick-fil-A thing. You're going, that was mine. No, 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 I, lo I love the Chick-fil-A. First yeah. of all, I, don't get me down the rabbit hole of why they can find intelligent 18-year-olds to hire. Sure. And nobody else. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, don't, I can't figure that part out. Yeah, yeah do a great job. Uh, continuing on that whole vein of the, the campus pastor, because you and I have talked, and uh, I know you are well-read, and you are a sponge. You will suck mm -hmm. the brain dry uh, in learning. In that whole campus world, one of the, the, the pulls, if you go video venue, 
and maybe using your analogy, it's almost instead of franchise, it's company store. It's Starbucks. Nobody has franchise. Sure. You know, it, yep. it's, it's it's very much doing this and it's video and we protect the platform a lot more that, yep. that way. Yep. If you do our our friend Jeff and Akron, yep. which is completely yep. individual teaching, you know, you got the yep. teachers and raising up those folks. Yep. Finding campus pastors. Yeah. That in your scenario, yeah. it would sound like to me is they they know they have to have some teaching chops or want to develop teaching chops because thirty percent of the time that's one of yep. the things that's going to be on their yep. their deal, and they're going to be compared to you as a communicator yep. on those those yep. weekends. Yep. But seventy percent of the time, you or somebody's on a screen. Yep. I would think that sounds to me like that's almost two different people we're looking for. Yeah, and so we had to come to a place where we had to decide was teaching a prerequisite for them to have to be a campus pastor or not. And we came to a point where we said it's not. Okay. We said it's great if they can and it'll earn them chips and it'll do things, but their leadership gift to be able to move the campus forward mattered more. Right. Build teams, create shepherds or shepherds, lead, get people to bleed for them. So there's a difference between people like you and people will follow you. <laughs> and can you get people to follow you? Um, and then you have the tension within this campus pastors. And this is why it's so hard is there's a difference between the person who wants to work in Chick-fil-A versus they want their own chicken shop versus they want their own burger shop. Correct. And we're asking people to have the hunger to want their own restaurant, but we're telling them what they got to keep on the menu. Right. And so that's a, that's a challenge that you, you find that right kind of leader for that. But we did have to really work with the job description to say, is it a prerequisite that they can preach? And so even one of our campus pastors, when he first came on, he didn't preach at all. He actually preached his first message this past weekend oh. after some time. And so, and then others preached right away. Um, and it is a challenge to find who those people are. And then again, not just from the gift sets, from the DNA that they believe in your vision enough to bleed for it, but don't want their own vision. So they got to be a strong leader, but not too strong. You know, they got to be able to lead, but not want to lead their own thing. And I do think we are at a place in the church with the multi-site movement of that's just a tough, that's a tough gig. And, you know, a lot of people want it uh, until they have it. And then they realize it's I think not they want they it because they think it's something different. Yeah, they think it's something different. Some of them think, some of them, this is a problem, think it's a stepping stone to what they really want. Right. Some think it's a Trojan, they believe it's seen as a Trojan horse to be able to do what they want eventually. Right. And if they're led by a strong leader, if they're led by a franchise guy like Craig Rochelle, he's not going to let them Trojan horse it. And right. so they're going to get run out of that job really quick. Um, but it's tough. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of things we're trying to figure out in a world where we have digital and technological capabilities that allow us to leverage a man or woman's gifts. Um, but how far is too far with that? What does that mean? So, you know, we look at it and say, my preaching gathering gift, we can get people to go to another location as long as they're connected to me, at least for a season. But we want to wean them off of me in a way where they don't care. But part of weaning them off of me is developing someone else to be great. So then that means I have to do the work to help that person get better. And so I feel that as much of me preaching on the weekends is a part of my role, my ability to make the communicators we have be better is just as critical. In fact, I say to my elders, I think my long-term legacy is my ability to develop great communicators, not simply be a great communicator. And so I work really hard at that and give a lot of time. In fact, I think what's interesting is I think I give more time to that 
than a lot of people who actually have the congregational models where their pre people preach every week. I give tons of time to our people who preach only 30% of the time. Even the guys on our teaching team that don't preach 30% of the time but preach at different locations, I work with them a lot because I think it's so important to develop them. All right, let's change gears. Um, the, one of the things that I alluded to early on is when you see a successful ministry, I have a, a, a good friend that, that was a mentor to me, um, and he built and led a church to 20,000 in size, very successful guy. And the year they were moving into a brand new facility, and it was just really looked like a pinnacle, mm -hmm. he and I happened to be playing golf. And I said, just, hey, what's happening? How's life? And he says, hardest year of my ministry. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, isn't that amazing? Because mm -hmm. it's the one where everybody outside Sure. Is looking and saying, this is amazing. And he had different reasons. He was talking about the the stuff that you deal with. He goes, I get much more hate mail from outside the church than inside. Sure. You know, people that take shots because of sure. whatever he's doing. Here's my question to you. Um, church planter background like you, but of a different generation. And I did not have to do the social media thing. Yeah. Uh, and how do you deal what I used to call hate mail? I used to have a file of all what I call the... Um, I hate Phil file. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, all, all the, sure. Well, now they can tweet you, they can yeah. email, yeah. Facebook, yeah. you know, all that stuff, yeah. and then they can find other hate Phil people <laughs> sure. yeah. to be part of that. Yeah. So how do you navigate? How much do you use media or social yeah. networking or for you? Yeah, um, yeah. so I, I use it. I mean, I have a, an Instagram account, a Facebook account, a Twitter account, and um, I, think a, I think people in ministry who don't, I think it's foolish because it's it's an access to a bunch of things that are effective. Um, I strategically use each of them differently. So my Facebook mindset is a little bit different than my Twitter mindset is different than my. So for Instagram, for example, I really try to leverage Instagram to be less about Pastor Keith and more about what does it look like to have an Instagram account of a godly man. Hmm. So I think about. I post stuff about church, but I post pictures of my kids. I post pictures of things I do and date night with my wife. It's not all Grace Fellowship. It's not all the next sermon series. It's some of that. But I try to model what it means to be a godly guy through that versus Twitter is going to be a lot more of um, Keithisms and the fortune cookie talk that is a pastor sometimes and leadership stuff and sermon things and, and those kind of things. And then Facebook's a little bit of a hybrid of that. But um, I think about it, and then I think I, I recognize that if I if I'm involved in those spaces, I'm going to read those spaces, and and then I'm even if I'm not on those spaces, our people are on those spaces, so they're going to see it, and they're going to tell me anyways, right? They're going to get it to me. I think a lot of this comes down to whether it's social media or real criticism or whatever it is. Um, anyone who is going to be in ministry and is going to go far is going to have to come to a place where this is going to sound cliche, but it's true. Their identity is in Christ. They, they I, I have a phrase I say all the time of no one to impress and only one to honor. No one impress, one to honor. And then I say, learn from all, but defined by God. So if I'm as good as the people who think I'm good, I'll have a giant head. If I'm as bad as the people who think I'm bad, I'll be suicidal. And I can't live in that space. So you think my message was great, Phil? Tell me why I want to learn from it. I'm not going to be defined by it. You think it was terrible? I want to learn from it, but I'm not going to be defined by it. And ultimately, I didn't preach it for you. I preached it to honor God and leverage what he did. And if I did that to the best of my ability, I'll sleep fine. And I've worked really, really hard to try to live that way in my character from the time we were 50 to what we are now. And the best way I've done that is I have people in my life who aren't impressed with me. 
They knew me before I was Pastor Keith. They knew me before the church was big. They knew me when the church was small. And they're not afraid to treat me in that regard. And so I think your identity coming back to you're not, I never got into it for a big church. And I don't know if you're going to ask, but there's a bunch of headaches of a big church too, right? And <laughs> right. so I never got into it for a big church. I never once have set a numeric goal. I've never gone down that route. I tried to be faithful and take the right yes or the right no with the next step and trust that God would honor that wherever he would. And he's done more than I expected. I think he'll continue to do more than I expect. But in that, I've tried to really be the same person from day one. And by God's grace, I feel like I have um, for the most part. And some of that is, again, like my wife wouldn't let me be any different. You know, my brother who's an elder here wouldn't let me be any different. My best friend who's been here since we were 50, he wouldn't let me be any different. And at the same time to come back that you recognize that most of what makes anybody good at anything, um, they didn't earn. God gave it to them. LeBron doesn't get to pound his chest that he's 6'9", 270, and can jump high and run fast. He got those gifts because God ordained it. Now, he stewarded those gifts, and he's been great with the stewarding of those. But LeBron saying I'm awesome because I'm tall is stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like a fish saying it's great because they can swim. It's what, it, it's what it, God made it to be. And so um, I think uh, having those perspectives help you navigate those criticisms that are inevitable. It's... <sighs> And I agree. I, I mean, everything you said, it, it makes sense. My, my challenge, and I'm wondering, and it, you bring up LeBron, um, it's about every day I pull on my, my phone and look to see what's happening, say, in the world of sport. And there's some guy that is having a difficulty because he read stuff about himself. Sure. You know, either yep. right now the big thing, LeBron and the Lakers, is yep. all those young guys hearing they're going to get traded, yep. and now supposedly yep. they can't play st yep. straight. yeah. Because they're worried about that, um, or some, and some will choose to shoot back, and so they get in these Twitter wars yep. with people they would never even know yeah. who they are. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that. So I was going to say, do you yeah. restrain? Do you let? Yeah, I, I don't. I know there's got to be times somebody sends you a missile and you want to send a missile. Yeah, back. I mean, I, I really live in a place of, if it's a significant enough conversation that it needs to be had, I'm going to go pursue that person to person. I'm not ever going to get in a, a contest of, ego on a social media place. I really want to try to, you know, I praise in public, admonish in obscurity. And so how do you how do you put people in the right space for that? And I really on those conversations, I mean this sounds again like over spiritually, but like I try to pray and say, what do I need to own? What do I need to learn? What's here for me? What am I missing? And and really seek to to understand and to get better and to grow from that. I mean I can I can grow from the exit interview or the criticism and to work at that. But I'm not going to engage somebody who wants to take a shot on Twitter or Facebook or, um, you know, someone to take a shot at my family or something or, or me or mega churches at large or something. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with that. And um, I remember a friend saying to me, he said, you know, your church, when it crosses 2,000 people, you'll, you'll have to live with two, two realities. One is people will make decisions about your church that have never been in your church. And people are going to have preconceived notions and make opinions about you when they've never talked to you. And you just get used to that. You just know that it's true. Um, and then here's what I also tell people, man. For the negative side of that is there are also people that give me the benefit of the doubt and invite me into spaces because our church is big. Right. Who would have never given a rip, never right. asked me a question, right. never treated me with respect. You know, um, And there are privileges and opportunities I have because grace is big. That if Grace was a church that was 100 people, I wouldn't. And I'm, 
I'm aware of that. I'm aware that like there's an unfair scale of economy both to the criticisms and the opportunities that come with that. And I think it's really important that people are sober about both of those because you can end up focusing on just the negatives um, and not think about the positives that come along with it as well. Yeah, I, you know, I started off as a young guy out of college and I planted a church in Kentucky in a semi-rural area and, and had a good ministry, church still there to this day. But, you know, we were in the two to 300 range after growing. Then I go to Seattle and have an opportunity to lead a church to 3,000. And I was telling everybody, I was just as smart in Kentucky. Yep, yep. I, same gift yep, set, same yep. skill set. So this whole idea is that, you know, God does do stuff. Yep. And God sometimes selects and says, hey, you know what? We're going to bless this effort. Yep. Or you got somebody over here working very hard. Yeah. And does not see the same kind of yeah, results. Yeah, there's, there's a verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 21, 31 says, prepare the horse for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And so we talk about that here as the two components of there's a hard work component, there's a huge faith component. We can control the hard work component, but it says victory belongs to the Lord. I tell people all the time, there's a bunch of churches, a bunch of good dudes I know who they probably have a deeper affection for God and people than I do. And they've done a lot of the right things. And God hasn't anointed them or given them the victory of public visual growth the way that it's happened here. Um, and so for us, we just really say, let's prepare the horse for battle the best way we know how with who we're trying to be and what we're trying to do. And then we'll see what God does in light of that. But um, size is not always a good indicator of the giftedness of the man or the team. Uh, there's a lot of things that contribute to why one church blows up and another church doesn't blows up in a good way or bad way. And, and so I think people got to be really careful of that. Um, I think there's also, people have to really recognize that there's there's quantitative growth, but there's qualitative growth. And God uses some people to really deepen and bring quality and sustainability and health. And so, um, yeah, the size of a person's ministry, I have another friend, his story's that way. It's the church actually my sister goes to in North Carolina. And he was at a church in California and it grew and it grew to like 500 and stopped. And then he moved and now he has a church in Raleigh of over 10,000, you know, four campuses. And he says... I was just as gifted right. or not gifted right. then as I was now. Right. And, um, and so there's a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, I think for everyone, though, who does see, achieve some kind of success in terms of numeric growth, I think one consistent factor they all do is they, they, find, they find who they are with the ability to surround themselves with good teammates. Mm. They, they put people around them who they're smart enough to know what they don't know. And they put people around them that are going to sustain what they can't sustain. And anyone who doesn't and has fast, fast growth, it crashes. You have to be willing to not be the smartest person in every room. You have to be willing to put people around you that are going to accentuate your weaknesses. Now, there's a church in Columbus that's grown up that's, that's doing great. And it's really, really taken off. And one of my hopes is that that, that leadership team surrounds itself with people that have strengths that they don't have. Uh, otherwise I'm nervous, it's going to come backwards because that's a big part of being able to sustain that first part of what God gives you. Yeah, it's like I always talk about you blow up the balloon and sometimes it's hard to keep the air in. Sure. And, and how you do that. Okay, I want to change gears one more time. You alluded to it earlier and I want to go down the rabbit hole for a little bit. Um, when you have to lead through difficulty, lead through crisis, mm -hmm. can be personal, can be family, can be workplace. I think it's the one unusual thing when you are at a large church and you're leading a staff 
you make personnel decisions, but their families come Sunday to church. Sure. There's so there's so many dynamics. Yep. That yeah, you may be leading in a company with people that you hire and fire, yep. but they don't have to turn around and come listen to you. Yep. Um, and when you've grown a church as rapidly as here, some come say you're great. Some after a while say you're not so great. Yep. Some come back later and say yep. you're great again. Yeah. But you've had to have tough stuff. And, and I just think a lot of young guys that I meet teaching um, don't really understand that large churches can be a blessing, but leading them can be its own pile of worms. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, probably the place that I feel that the most more than anything is with staff. Mm. Um, you feel it in a lot of different ways. And I say, I've said to people, you want, you want the victories of a big church. You don't want the battles. And you understand that every battle has carnage. There's bloodshed. There's scars. There's pain. There's work. And it's really easy for people to walk into a place like Grace, see what it is, and not understand the cost that goes to it. When you, when you think of staff, you know some of the people that we've transitioned here, that have transitioned off our bus, like these were people that they're not only your friends, they're people that trusted you, believed in what um, God was leading, using you to lead them in, that they took risks, they hitched their wagon to you in a way that you'll never be able to thank them for. And uh, the emotion of knowing that you're not just taking away their vocation or their job, but you're taking away their social network and their friends and their church and how that's all going to play out is hard. And so you, you have to really feel like you're led by God to do what you're doing, that you have other godly people around you and holding that up, um, that you recognize that leadership is hard and you're going to make tough calls. And uh, I think, but then even on not tragedies, just as your staff gets bigger, it just changes. So um, one of the things I remember is, you know, early on, I just had so much credibility with the staff because I could put them all in a van. We could go get ice cream together. They knew me. They trusted me. They believed in me. They they saw me laugh. They they saw me take down chairs. They they watched me buy them lunch. And you know, the bigger your staff gets, you're hiring people you've never met them before. You don't know them. They don't know your story. They only know you as the guy that gets up and talks. And their ability to trust you when you walk into a room. And so I have to manage my energy into rooms I walk into with an attention to detail that, to be honest, is exhausting and annoying. I can ruin someone's day that I never intended to ruin because I came in and said, hey, give me the stats on where we're at with small groups in high school ministry. And they think all of a sudden their job's at trouble or I did like, and all I want to, I, I got seven other things I'm thinking about. Right. I just, I needed it for something else. And, um, and so I'll get like that and I'll pout, I'll get mad, you know, and I'll look, I'll look at my executive pastor and I'll say, I'm not even leaving my office today. Forget him. I'm going to stay in my <laughs> office and work on my message. And you have to get to a place where you you learn to lead differently, and that's tiring because I didn't sign up for any of that. I didn't want any of that. Why is it I would have a staff member that doesn't fill the gap with trust and believe the best about me? But years ago, every staff member sat in a small group with me and knew me. and So that's, a, that's not like a crisis, but it's a challenge that you feel very, very much, you know, and then... And then you go through the, the, the challenges of you do have to fire that person or you do have to make a big shift and you have to manage through that change. We, we went through a big one a little over a year ago. We had had two very successful Saturday night services. We went from Saturday night to Thursday night. 
And for some people, they came up to me, you're stealing my church. Mm. You're taking when I worship away. Don't you care? How can you think through this? And I told people on one side, I was a brave, courageous leader. To other people, I was the village idiot, depending on who talked. And that's hard, you know, but you have to feel like it's the right decision and have confidence in that. But leading through, leading through change, leading through difficulty, um, leading through emotional change. We had a, a woman when our church was probably about 400, 500. She had taken over being the, the treasurer here in a part-time job, got cancer, and God took her in a few months. Mm. And she was known in our church and the funeral. And we had one of our elders, and uh, his son took his own life. Mm. And managing through that, and um, how do you show strength but vulnerability and honesty, but also recognize you got to keep running the church and you got to keep moving. And um, those are those are tough. And uh, those are the things where I think people don't understand leadership in church is way more than showing up and giving a good message. Uh, in fact, I would say one of the things I think gets a lot of young leaders is they may be great preachers or they may be good institutional thinkers. They're not both. And a lot of leaders that I see in churches that are successful in terms of growth and moving forward, they're able to find a point person who's good at that or who fills that weakness really fast on the one they're not good at. Yeah, I, I call it the um, Clint Eastwood, man's got a nose limitation. Sure, sure. And it's like, okay, this is me. Yep. So one of the things that uh, as my son was growing up, I would always say is you're always searching in adulthood to know who you are and not who your mom or dad tells you. you are. Sure. And it's because if you don't have a clear picture, and most people in life don't, that's why yep. you, you look on social media and think, what are these people thinking? Yeah. Because they don't have a clear picture. Yep. And so who's who's giving you that feedback? And if you have a clear picture, then you can surround yourself with those other pieces. Sure. But if you don't, you get either a bunch of syncophants or yep. uh, whatever. Okay, la last rabbit hole that I I'm curious 14 years, you made a shift vocationally as well as got a wild ride of Mr. Toad, you know, got yep. into the church that, yep. that grew like a rocket ship. Yep. Um, if you were talking to Keith 14 years ago, yep. knowing, sounds like a Toby Keith song, knowing what you know now, <laughs> but if you yeah. did, what would you tell you that younger Keith? Yeah, you, you probably mean less strategic about the church and more just about about what what life's going to look like over yeah. the next fifteen years, if you could, if you could tell him something. Yeah, I would. Um, I would tell him the things that you know to be true, and the things that you know to be godly. Do not deviate from those at any point, and no matter what opens itself up to you, um, make sure you hold to those. I would really hold to the adage of. Um, those who know you most should respect you most. And so don't sell out for things that you shouldn't sell out for in the name of walking away from things that you know are really, really important. Um, I would really make sure he's grounded in. You're not about your identity success one way or the other. You're about the faithfulness you put into it and then trusting God with the results. Um, I would want to tell him that... Um, uh, I would want to remind him that be careful that you understand that people are annoying and that ministry is messy. Uh, my, my mentor used to tell me, he said, you know, we think ministry is you, you stand on the edge of the cliff and the people are here and you tell them don't walk off the cliff and they'll listen to you. He said, most of ministries, you tell them not to walk off the cliff. They walk right off the cliff, right past you anyways. And you have to go down and love them while they're at the bottom. 
And I've just learned that's just really true. And if you can't handle that, don't do it. And so I would just, I would look at that 25 year old and I would say, make sure you really understand this. Make sure you love people because that's what God says. They're made in the image of him. Don't love people for results. Don't expect results. And um, because the temptation, especially as you grow, is to move from some of that stuff, you know, to, to drift from some of that. I would tell them about the seasonal nature of people, you know, that you're going to have people that are going to be with you, really close to you, and they're going to bleed for you, and you're going to bleed for them, and then you're not going to talk to them again. They're going to they're drift into the abyss. Um, I would tell Keith parenting's hard. Mm. I, would, I would tell him the largest challenge you have in your life is being a dad in that, uh, man, I have a guy that coaches me that he says, you know, Keith, as a strong leader, you can put limited amount of energy and get quick results at your, in your church, on your staff, with your team. But that same limited amount of energy does not yield fast results at home. Hmm. And so the reality that I can walk into a room here and people care and people sit up straight and with a little amount of talk and push, I can move things. That does not happen at the house. What makes me a great leader here is that I'm able to be uh, logical, I'm able to be objective, and I'm able to make the right decision regardless of how I feel. That doesn't matter to my kids or my wife. They don't, they don't want me to be objective. They want me to be a dad, they want me to be a husband, and sometimes objectivity is the enemy of, enemy of my intimacy. And that's hard, and I would, I would say that to them. Don't confuse that you're successful at your job is it's gonna be easy at home. It's not. <laughs> And uh, I, I, think, I think being a parent is the hardest job in the world. Um, being a, a great spouse is very difficult, but you're dealing with an adult. <laughs> you know, I have four kids, 13 and under, and um, it's hard. And, uh, and then people, people expect, because you're good at preaching and good at your job, your home's going to be great. Right. And the, there's not a one for one. So I would tell, I would tell 25-year-old Keith that. Um, I would tell 25 year old Keith that, uh, there's no guarantee, but God is a lot, is, is, is able, you know, it theologically, but he will do more than you expect, you know, um, it'd be a variety of things, but those would probably be the, the biggest things. Some of the things I mentioned earlier, don't, don't, uh, make sure you keep people around you who are, are impressed with you and will hold you accountable. And, um, and then there's a whole different set of things I would say to 25 year old Keith from the strategic ministry side but if i was talking to him um out on a boat while fishing those would be some of the things i would say about growing up and and navigating life and um yeah being reminded that you're you're just you're never as good as the people tell you but you're not as bad as the people tell you either you know and what you have that you're good at god gave so great answer great answer i always liken it to coaching you know, coaches go from brilliant to stupid <laughs> in one year. Sometimes and, over things they can't control. Exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes the guy drops a pass that was the right play call. He's still an idiot. But if he catches that pass, he's a hero. And they get a first down and they go on and win the game. And um, But I would also tell I would also tell 25-year-old Keith, um, do it. Go for it. You know, don't. I could have had a, a good, successful career in another area of my life. And between mentors and friends, they said, 
I mean, there was a really pivotal conversation with my mentor and that conversation really changed the trajectory of my life. And I, I'm glad I listened to that talk when that happened. Had I not, I think it, my life would just look very different. It wouldn't be bad, right? but it would just, it would look very different. And so I would say, go for it. Next time we talk mentors. Okay. Next, next time. Mentors. Yeah. Hey, thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. It's yeah. been a, Hopefully it was useful. A blessing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host, and I really appreciate you listening today and the fascinating ministry of Grace Church in Pickerington, the east side of Columbus with Pastor Keith. Uh, go online, Google, see what's going on at that particular church because it is a thriving ministry on the east side of Columbus that's making a difference. Thanks for listening.